I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Everyone is welcome out on the range. Well, there's no roommates here. You want to live here? You better get building. It's high noon for Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm on Gab every now and again at I'm your moderator and I'll get the merch site back up and running real soon. Today is the 104th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president. Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. Every single person you have ever empowered has a deep, dark personal history And they will do absolutely anything to make sure the world never knows. A warm high noon welcome on this beautiful May the 4th to all of the redeemable communists out there. Maybe you showed up way too early for a Cinco de Mayo party. And your friend has this podcast on at their house. And they didn't realize you were coming over. So now they've outed themselves as an American. And here you sit, communist. Exposed to the sound of my voice. And I just want to tell you that you are welcome here. So long as you can deal with the mocking and ridicule that I will subject you to until you become an American again. And, you know, you can try to make me feel bad about it, but I'm not going to. And the reason is because you absolutely deserve it. And someone has to shame you out of all the stupid and evil ideas that you are somehow able to hold in your head. And so that's what I'm here for. Just bear with it for this one hour. And then do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And by the end of May, you'll be an American again who is prepared to happily and ambitiously confront the world ahead and take part in the American Renaissance. And who wouldn't want that? Communists. That's who. So before I get into this 
Kevin McCarthy roommate thing, which is got to be one of the greatest things ever. I just want to kind of update what I was talking about yesterday with the social media privacy stuff with a thought that I was having this morning. You know, I've watched all of these or most of these hearings in Congress when they have in Zuckerberg and Dorsey and Sundar Pichai and Jeff Bezos and Tim Apple. Yeah, I know it's Tim Cook. It's a Trump joke. If you like Trump, you'll just laugh. If you don't get jokes, I can't help you. So I've watched most of the hearings when they've come in and testified before the House or before the Senate. And Mark Zuckerberg is always a complete and total robot. He always says, Senator, thanks for the question. And then gives his robotic answer. And then Jack Dorsey is the polar opposite, just like this totally mentally blitzed fake hippie tech god who thinks that he like meditates on a magic carpet and the spiritual knowledge of the universe just enters him so that he's then able to just channel his spiritual goodness into his censorship of Americans for the benefit of China and global communism. But I'm thinking about Dorsey and I'm thinking about what we saw in the FOIA'd California Secretary of State emails, the emails from that office to the social media companies, the portals that the social media companies set up so that officials in all 50 states can have stuff taken down whenever they want. And I'm thinking that one of the consistent patterns in Jack Dorsey's answers about censorship is that he genuinely seems like he has no idea what happened or why it happened. And so he always describes everything in reference to their policies and them enforcing their policies. It's, you know, it's all stuff that he's been told is safe to say by his lawyers or perhaps by the members of Congress pretending to actually interrogate him. But it really seems like he has no idea what's going on. And when you look at the system that we were talking about yesterday, you can actually imagine a scenario where he really doesn't have any idea of what's going on because the volume of stuff that's going in through those channels filtered through, as we can see, people from all 50 states, they're finding whatever articles harm their national narrative that they're trying to project and they filter those immediately to the social media companies so they can be taken down. And I wonder if these social media companies even have the ability to say no to these government entities. Like what sort of post would Twitter stand up to all these government entities and say, oh, no, you know, we can't take that down because there's nothing wrong with it. Facebook, Google, YouTube, obviously YouTube is owned by Google. What point could they ever reach where those people would 
feel secure and confident writing back in an email. We can't take this post down because it's completely true. Like think about the New York Post article about the Hunter Biden laptop last year. Now, this was a big source of controversy and Jack Dorsey actually did have to testify about this in Congress. And he never really gave a good answer because, of course, there is no good answer. They straight up just censored it. He said that they censored it based on their hacked materials policy, which even having a hacked materials policy seems utterly absurd. But this also just wasn't hacked material, and there was no reason ever to believe that it was. And so they should have immediately taken off the block of that post, but they didn't. They made it so the only way the New York Post could get their account back is if they actually deleted the original tweet. And thankfully, the New York Post stood its ground and refused to do that. And then Twitter eventually had to act, but it wasn't for like two weeks. Dorsey had no answers about any of that. And so some of this is speculation, of course. But consider what it would have looked like if all around the country, this National Association of Secretaries of State and these other communists, straight up communists funded by George Soros, like Jocelyn Benson in Michigan, Katie Hobbs in Arizona, Raffensperger, people like that. If they all sent that article to Twitter or Facebook. And obviously it doesn't have to be them. I'm not saying that this relates exactly to voter integrity, but we're talking about different groups of people organized to perpetuate one narrative at different levels of government. But if they all have this white list access to the social media companies so that they can ask for things to be taken down, What happens when all of them send through this Hunter Biden article to Twitter immediately? What would that trigger? Is there an automated system there? Do people at Twitter review all of these requests? I doubt it. I mean, they were censoring me and us, my friends who were on that post, but they were also censoring accounts that I've never heard of and never seen on Twitter. They were also censoring members of the media. They were also censoring elected officials and they were censoring media outlets. So the likelihood that Twitter puts individual care into all of these decisions, that seems extraordinarily low in light of what we know about the access that government actors have to getting stuff pulled down. And by the way, celebrities have social media managers that do a lot of this stuff too. As I imagine, some of the celebrities might have themselves. I mean, you could see social media companies protecting certain celebrities, like Chrissy Teigen, for instance. And then they build features where celebrities can turn their comments off. Or where certain stuff can be just certain comments can just be pulled straight out of there. Twitter has an algorithm that basically hides all negative responses 
to posts that fit their narrative. All the positive responses will be immediately shown, but you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom and click show all replies before you hear what people actually think. So they have this stuff built in. Now, what is to stop these government actors that have this access from abusing these systems all the time? If Twitter's not there checking all these tweets to see if they should actually be taken down, if they're not putting in the time and energy for that, do you really think that they're putting time and energy into vetting these claims from government actors and government entities to see if their claims are legitimate and if the stuff should be taken down? I highly, highly doubt it. And if that's the case, then it's even worse than what we were talking about yesterday and even worse than what the public's normal understanding of this is. They think, oh, the government advises the social media companies on what's misinformation, right? That's like a best case scenario for how you can describe what's happening. And only commies would describe it that way because ultimately what that is is the government deciding what is and isn't misinformation based on their own needs and goals and desires. And then they're immediately having counter narratives eliminated for them by social media. And then if the social media companies don't actually have to check what needs to be taken down and no one actually has to justify to them why something should be taken down. What do you really have? You have an automated system where government officials who are whitelisted can submit anything that they want taken down and an automated system executes that for them. That is only government censorship. And we still pretend it's okay because Twitter's a private company and Facebook's a private company. Yes, a private company with what is still read as Section 230 immunity. I don't think that that's going to last very long. But all that's really happened here is that a private company has built technology and now they let the government use that technology and you might say yeah but everybody else is using that technology too and in pretty much the same way and it's not even entirely accurate to say that the technology was only built privately you can look back at facebook and research lifelog and facebook's relationship to darpa you can understand the relationship that these companies have with our intelligence agencies. And then what you see is that this is a quasi private company that is basically in a symbiotic relationship with government. They are working together the entire time to the point where there's no real distinction. And remember, we're the product for these social media companies, okay? We're not the consumer. The government and corporations are the consumers. They're the ones who pay for the product. 
The product is all of our personal data. And what do they pay all that money for? Well, to sell us things to take our money. And so the government can track us to control us. That is what these social media companies are. Okay. They're like an old West movie set where you're like, oh, there's the, uh, the sheriff's department. And then you walk through the front door and you're like, oh, okay, well now I'm just back out on the range because there's no sheriff's department. There's just a front. That's what we have with social media. And because we're all addicted to it, we think that means that we really like it and that we're really getting something beneficial out of it, which allows us to excuse what they're actually doing. And we know what they're actually doing, right? This shouldn't be anything controversial or unknown, If you have any app on your phone that tracks your location, like Waze or Google Maps, or even like a dating app like Tinder, right, that is always spotting you by GPS to let you know who's in a certain range of you, if that's linked into Facebook, then Facebook has all your location data, and Facebook already has all your demographic data. They know who your high school girlfriend was. They knew what they know what you majored in in college. They know where you live. They know who you go to see. They know what articles you read on the Internet because Facebook signed into all your websites, too. They know more about your life than you do. And even knowing that you refuse to come to terms with the fact that you are the product. And the service, these websites, these social media platforms are actually selling is the ability to manipulate you. Okay, that's what this is. If the government can can stop the spread of any information it wants simply by forwarding it into this portal where the social media companies then will take down whatever they think is hurting their narrative, then it's really just the government censoring people directly. And we need to understand this relationship this way and stop pretending that this is a public-private partnership or that there is some relationship between them. It's the same thing. We should think of it as the same thing. We should talk about it as the same thing. And we should deal with it as the same thing. Because that's fascism. And that's fine. I'm happy to listen to counter arguments whenever anyone wants to make one. But I don't think they can ultimately root this anywhere. It is what it is. We need to stop pretending that the slight counter arguments somehow outweigh the force of what you actually know is happening. Stuff that you can see happening with your own eyes. You can feel it. You can experience it. You know they're messing with you. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, we, uh, you know, 
How else am I going to stay in touch with my grandmother? What? Call her. That's how. Well, how am I going to remember people's birthdays? I don't know. How did they do it in 1996? (laughs) You don't need an abacus. Put it in your phone notes. Put it in your calendar. Then it'll just give you a reminder, just like Facebook did. Isn't that amazing? And then no sooner do I put up High Noon yesterday than this CNN article drops with the headline, Biden team may partner with private firms to monitor extremist chatter online by Zachary Cohen and Katie Bo Williams. Monday, May 3rd. The Biden administration is considering using outside firms to track extremist chatter by Americans online, an effort that would expand the government's ability to gather intelligence, but could draw criticism over surveillance of U.S. citizens. Yeah, it only could draw criticism, but like not from you guys, you smart ones. We know you guys aren't going to criticize it because we're about to tell you why it's a good thing. And also Joe Biden's doing it. And remember, everyone else is a domestic terrorist. The Department of Homeland Security is limited in how it can monitor citizens online without justification and is banned from activities like assuming false identities to gain access to private messaging apps used by extremist groups such as the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers. (laughs) I love how they make these groups up. Antifa is the number one extremist group in the country, and they don't care. Instead, federal authorities can only browse through unprotected information on social media sites like Twitter and Facebook and other open online platforms. A source familiar with the effort said it is not about decrypting data, but rather using outside entities who can legally access these private groups to gather large amounts of information that could help DHS identify key narratives as they emerge. Ooh, identifying narratives, you say. The plan being discussed inside DHS, according to multiple sources, would, in effect, allow the department to circumvent those limits. In response to CNN's story, DHS said it is not partnering with private firms to surveil suspected domestic terrorists online. And, quote, it is blatantly false, end quote, to suggest that the department is using outside firms to circumvent its legal limits. All of our work to address the threat of domestic terrorism is done consistent with the Constitution and other applicable law and in close coordination with our privacy and civil liberties experts, the DHS statement added. But the department, wait a second, you know what? They should not have privacy and civil liberties experts because they should not want to constantly be challenging those boundaries. Stuff is absolutely crazy and you don't even notice like the way they talk about this stuff is just so normal like oh you have legal experts and civil rights experts on your staff or on call so you can answer these questions all the time really well what you're really doing when you're doing that is saying hey i want to do this thing can you please give me a legal framework that makes it possible It's unreal. But the department is considered partnering with research firms who have more visibility in this space, though it has not done so to this point, the sources said. If that ultimately happens, DHS could produce information that would likely be beneficial to both it and the FBI, which can't monitor U.S. citizens in this way without first getting a warrant or having the pretext of an ongoing investigation. 
The CIA and NSA are also limited on collecting intelligence domestically. Oh, sure they are. It would, however, involve empowering a unit at DHS that is already under fierce scrutiny for its bungled handling of the Portland riots last summer, an episode that included collecting intelligence reports on journalists and unmasking private citizens, according to a source familiar with a recent internal report on the matter. You got that? At first you thought, oh, yeah, those Portland riots were terrible. DHS really did bungle that. That's not what CNN's saying. CNN is saying that the DHS was irresponsible to the rioters. Okay. They collected information on journalists and rioters. And CNN is mad that they did that, even though the rioters are obvious criminals and the journalists Well, we'd have to look at the stories. That leaves the Biden administration with a key question. How to address mistakes made during the Trump administration while also finding ways to respond to what critics say were blatant failures by U.S. intelligence agencies to act on warnings ahead of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Got it? So DHS failed under Trump because they didn't give enough respect to the criminals. But they also failed at the Capitol because they didn't prevent the Capitol riot, even though they're the ones who did the riot. And even though they had countless reports leading up to it and Trump specifically asked for 10,000 National Guard troops. This is how deranged CNN is. There's a tension between wanting to empower DHS's intelligence office to do this kind of work around domestic terrorism on one hand, and then on the other hand, the misuse of its capabilities during the summer of 2020 gives a lot of people on the Hill pause when it comes to potentially giving them new authorities, capabilities, or resources. A Senate aide told CNN, Oh, really? Why can't you tell us Who's saying that lunatic thing? Okay, that's a straight up conspiracy theorist right there. They're worried that the DHS will misuse their capabilities the way they did during the summer of 2020. So they want to be sure that they get this absolutely right and make sure to only target people who might be aligned with wanting to make America great or support Donald Trump or believe obvious truths like the coronavirus narrative was mostly a hoax and that the election was 100% a fraud. I sometimes wish that they would just be honest and admit what they are trying to do. But then we wouldn't get to mock and ridicule them in the same way because everything they do is so totally obvious that the narratives get stamped out before they can even execute on any of this.
Now, I definitely didn't mean to spend that long on the subject. That CNN article goes on and on and on and on and on and on because it always takes 3,000 words to attempt to explain to communists why the horrible fascist thing they're doing is actually going to benefit them because it hurts Trump voters. So, yeah, 3,000 words is usually about what it takes for them to, to hammer those points home. So last night in New Hampshire... The board of selectmen in Wyndham met to consider, well, to consider reconsidering, I guess, their selection of Mark Lindemann from verified voting as their election auditor. And Mark Lindemann has come under heat for signing a letter to Arizona's Senate president, Karen Fan. And here's the letter. As specialists in election administration and security, we share a desire for accurate and trustworthy democratic elections. Collectively, we have decades of election administration and election auditing experience in the United States and abroad. We are deeply disturbed by the Arizona Senate's recent decision to engage cyber ninjas, a firm which news reports say was, quote, founded by a Trump supporter who promoted conspiracy theorists as part of the Stop the Steal movement, end quote, to audit ballots cast in Maricopa County's November general election. This is despite the fact that Trump administration officials described the 2020 election as the most secure in American history. Two earlier substantive audits, one by bipartisan teams and the other by federally accredited voting system test laboratories, found no discrepancies. These audits provided assurance of the accuracy of the results, which included victories for both Democrat and Republican candidates at the federal, state and local level. At this point, additional audits will have little value other than to stoke conspiracy theories and partisan gamesmanship or worse. This troubling conclusion is further supported by the selection of a firm that appears to lack independence or technical expertise, both of which are required under the most basic principles of auditing. Moreover, the absence of these basic qualifications has contributed to proposed procedures, such as deploying agents acting on behalf of the government to physically appear at Arizonans' residences to collect information, which are unlikely to be effective and may be in violation of state and federal law. In short, this appears to be a decision driven by politics rather than a search for truth. We urge the Arizona Senate to stop efforts that could undermine confidence in our elections and accept the Maricopa County election results. Arizonans and the American people deserve better. Okay, so Mark Lindemann of Verified Voting signed on to this letter. This letter is comically stupid. We have this paragraph here in the middle discussing the earlier audits. One by bipartisan teams, the other by federally accredited vote, voting system test laboratories. Okay, these are the two groups that found no discrepancies. Does the phrase bipartisan teams mean anything to anyone anymore? Of course not. Joe Biden and Liz Cheney are a bipartisan team. They're both also completely evil. And there isn't a person in MAGA world that doesn't hate corrupt Republicans as much as corrupt Democrats. They're all bad. No one cares that it's bipartisan. The problem is also bipartisan. Communism now is bipartisan. That's the problem. We also don't care about federal accreditation. Why? Because the federal government is the problem. <laughs> I mean, what is this? What confidence is this supposed to provide? This is basically an appeal to false authority. They're saying you should trust this because it's bipartisan and because the federal government agrees with it. Well, hey, dummies, that's why smart people 
don't trust it. That explanation works only on communists. And Karen Fan is not a communist. These audits provided assurance of the accuracy of the results. No, they sure didn't. And that fact will be proven to the entire world real soon. I mean, it should be proven to the entire world. It is proven to the entire world if the entire world only counts people that are actually paying attention. And then they say that it included victories for both Democrat and Republican candidates at the federal, state, and local level, right? And so with these explanations, you can see what the initial plan was. And people are like, well, hey, I mean, if they can just rig the vote however they want, why don't they give it all to Democrats? (laughs) Okay, commie. Here's the answer, Kami, because even people as dumb as you would realize it at that point. That's the answer. And the fact that you think that would be what actual master manipulators would do makes you even dumber than I thought. At this point, additional audits will have little value other than to stoke conspiracy theories and partisan gamesmanship, or worse, they're talking about the very deadly insurrection. Oh no, not another very deadly insurrection. Except, look what they're doing in Arizona this weekend. The Arizona Attorney General's Office Put out Black Lives Matter warnings to the Phoenix area. They're having a riot today, Thursday, and Friday. And what could these rioters attempt to do? Now, I don't know that they'll do this, of course. I'm speculating. Got it? The idea that there is no value in speculating is crazy. Considering potential futures is exactly how smart people stay ahead of the game. What do you think investment analysts do? (laughs) Like, what do you think venture capitalists do? They look at trends. They consider the future. They consider what people's needs are and what people's goals are. And then lay out potential paths of where things might end up and how they should respond in advance so that they are prepared for whatever situation arises. And then they can take advantage without speculating about possible futures that can't be done. Okay? Speculating about potential political and cultural futures is not creating conspiracies. That's not how that works. You stake out a potential future and then you find out if there are enough facts to support it as you get closer and closer to when that future might arise. You're constantly testing a hypothesis. You know where else that process is used? In actual science, a.k.a. not gender studies where you determine the conclusion and then you figure out ways that science definitely supports it. So yeah, there's actually value in speculating. It also shows you 
when speculation turns out to be correct, that you have a source of forward thinking that you can trust. It also shows you that if you are forward looking and you are discerning of the information you take in, then you too can be ahead of the game because it's not magic. Okay. So we have black lives matter riots coming up in Phoenix and we have the veterans Memorial Coliseum where the audit is taking place. Now, what happens if a Black Lives Matter riot moves over to the Coliseum? Well, if there's enough security there, then hopefully nothing. But if there's not enough security there, then what the BLM Antifa domestic terrorists attempt is to get into the Coliseum and spoil the audit so that they can claim a chain of custody was broken. You think that's a conspiracy theory? Guess we'll find out. I have zero trust in Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorists. And I also know that it's an obvious stated goal for the Democrat Communist Party to get this audit shut down. Those goals can coincide pretty easily. And if they do, what will the narrative be? The narrative will be that the cyber ninjas and the Trump supporters are trying to overturn the vote of marginalized people in Arizona because you know that that's all that Democrats care about. The only reason that they want to be in political office is so that they can serve marginalized communities, right? We're all supposed to know that we're all supposed to agree. And so if anything is done to take away Democrat power, Well, that must mean it's harming marginalized communities. So by that logic, of course, Black Lives Matter and Antifa have every right to riot and try to destroy the audit. Now, what happened on January 6th at the Capitol is unfortunate. I, too, wish that Antifa had not started a riot. But what happened inside those chambers after they reopened that evening is a disgrace to America, to the American people, and to the Constitution. Because what they did was thrust this historic fraud onto the American people. And we are still dealing with all of their corruption and weakness. And that's fine, because we still win. But we don't have to lie about what that was. What's happening in Arizona right now is an entirely legitimate, completely transparent process by which we will be shown that the ruling class of this country in collaboration with foreign nations and global communism at large defrauded the American people of their elected president and countless other elected officials, and they've been doing it for a long time. They are going to understand every aspect of the system. And just Yesterday in Michigan, evidence was released that clearly shows how the Dominion systems can be manipulated to spit out false results that can never be noticed as false in the audits that companies like Verified Voting are happy to confirm. 
That's literally how the system worked. If you're a smart criminal, you figure out all the ways you might get caught. And through some combination of your own scheming and then influence on the other side to change the rules or make judges, for for instance, turn a blind eye. That's how you execute the theft. You don't not consider how you might get caught and not plan for it. I mean, even the dumbest commie that might ever listen to this has seen Ocean's Eleven. Okay? Think about how intricate their plot was. You think people that want to steal an election don't think it through first? And I think that that Michigan thing is probably what Trump was referring to when he said yesterday that from this day forth, the election will be known as the big lie. And we will see. But last night in New Hampshire, the board of selectmen was faced with a bunch of the people of the town. They chose to do it in this small room rather than in the high school so that they could use COVID as an excuse to not let people in. They were telling everybody to wear their masks. And finally, enough people had protested. And one of the selectmen, Bruce Breton, stood up for the people and said that the place that the uh, the venue should be changed to the high school because they knew it was open. So the selectmen all walked out of the room because the citizens wouldn't stop going after them. And then they came back and said, hey, we're going to move it to the high school. So they went on down to the high school. And they kept the situation exactly as it was because they are corrupt and they are probably going to be faced with lawsuits. But they decided that rather than defying the people who are pulling their levers, they would shirk the responsibility and the duty that they were elected to perform and then kick the can down the road, putting it in the courts, delaying the process, making sure that the people cannot have what they want because they know that what the people want is going to bring their whole system crashing down. And they would at least like to be second out of the gate. They can let Maricopa County go first. Because in Wyndham, there's only 10,000 votes. That doesn't take long at all. And as soon as somebody gets their hands on the real ballots and does even a hand recount, they can know that that election was wrongly decided and they can figure out why once they get into the machines. So the only way for them to avoid that scenario is to stick with a company like verified voting, knowing that verified voting is going to give them the result that they want. But let's think a little more about verified voting. Because within the last couple of years, they have had two different members of their board of directors step down. And in just a second, you'll see why. But Gateway Pundit was given a copy of Richard DeMillo's resignation letter that he sent on December 1st, 2019 to the to the board of directors of verified voting. Richard DeMillo isn't some Internet conspiracy theorist. He's the chair of computer science and professor of management at Georgia Tech. He founded and directs the Center for 21st Century Universities, Georgia Tech's Living Laboratory for Fundamental Change in Higher Education. This guy's not some lunatic. He's the interim chair of the School of Cybersecurity and Privacy. All right. He knows what he's doing. 
He's also the author of over 100 articles, books, and patents. His research has spanned computer science and includes fundamental innovation in computer security, software engineering, and mathematics. All right? He was on the board because he's an expert. So this isn't a case of bias or incompetence or anything like that. Here is his letter. Dear Barbara, it is with profound regret that I resigned from the VV Board of Advisors. When you invited me to join the board shortly after the 2016 elections, I agreed for three reasons. First, verified voting's promise to promote policy positions that, quote, are based on scientific evidence and understood best practices in an election administration, end quote, offered hope in addressing a decade or more of willful neglect of those principles in Georgia. That sentence already is damning. This man has known for a long time that Georgia's elections were a mess. Second, I thought that lending my name to the organization would help in the fight to eliminate vulnerable, unauditable voting machines in Georgia and nationwide. So verified voting did not get that done. How disappointing. Third, I understood that my voice would be joined with the voices of respected colleagues to be sought out, valued, and debated by the organization's leadership. However, it soon became apparent that verified voting's policy positions were unpredictable, contradictory, and not aligned with the values I once believed we shared. On more than one occasion, verified voting has taken contradictory public stances in the span of a few days, undercutting allies and supporters. The pattern of espousing new positions and making public statements that take local VV stakeholders by surprise is nothing new. Rather than seeking out advice, verified voting has gone to great lengths to avoid it. I have tried over the last two years to engage in dialogue, but you, Marion, and her team have been unwilling to have face-to-face conversations, even when we are in the same city and sometimes the same building. These apparent disconnects have been seized upon and exploited in Georgia and other states to weaken, not enhance, the cause of accurate and verifiable elections. Although my concerns have been growing for some time now, verified voting's involvement in a, quote, pilot RLA, which means risk-limiting audit, in Georgia following the recent election makes it impossible to continue as a member of the advisory board. Now, remember what election he's talking about here. He's talking about the 2018 election in Georgia where Stacey Abrams lost and continued to pretend that she didn't. VV issued and supported misleading public statements that those pilots confirm outcomes and even prove the security of new election systems. Verified voting seal of approval for the security theatrics in Bartow County undermines efforts to make elections more accountable. This exercise conducted behind closed doors and billed as a practice run, even if flawlessly conducted, could only confirm the correctness of the tally of the unverified and therefore possibly corrupted ballots. Not that the ballots tallied were correctly marked. No audit based on an untrustworthy audit trail can confirm the correctness of the outcome. And by the way, right there, he is describing every single audit process in the country up until the one in Antrim County and Maricopa County. Those are the first two real forensic audits. Okay, everything before that is exactly what he's talking about. It's a complete and total fraud. It doesn't actually verify that a real voter cast that ballot. 
Billing such an exercise as an RLA and touting it as proof of security plays into the hands of cynics. Whatever benefits accrue from this practice, it does not help public understanding to aid election officials in misstating the results. A similar false claim was made in Pennsylvania the following week. Verified voting subsequently tweeted a weak repudiation of the incorrect Pennsylvania claim, but let stand an identical incorrect assertion in Georgia. That unrefuted statement will surely be a factor in future litigation. Most recently, Marion's essay posted on verifiedvoting.org shortly after Philip Stark's November 22nd resignation from the board doubled down on these and other expanded claims. It is a short essay, but I count at least nine distinct contradictions of prior verified voting statements and published positions. In light of this, the promise to pursue policy positions based on scientific evidence and best practices rings hollow. I can no longer lend my name to verified voting. Some, including anti-transparency activists, conflicted supporters of ballot marking devices, politicians trying to silence and intimidate critics and opponents of evidence based policy have already mischaracterized the mainly technical debates within the election integrity community. If they are successful at confusing the public about the correctness of election outcomes in Georgia and elsewhere, I feel it will be in some measure due to the absence of values once embraced by verified voting. Respectfully, Richard DeMillo, that is fantastic. And it's completely damning. This company should not be trusted by anyone. And what we have are actual elected officials saying that they trust this company. This is a man with direct experience, not only of election security, he is actually a legitimate expert in the field, but he also has experience with verified voting and what they do and how they communicate it. And what he sees is complete corruption. What he sees is a incredibly harmful situation where these audit companies that are supposed to give the public some faith in these processes is actually giving the public false faith based on complete and utter lies. And this is the infection throughout the voting process. This isn't a unique incident. This is what the process is. These companies exist to show bad actors how to get away with it. And yeah, sorry, there really are evil people in the world. And a lot of them work at universities. There really are communists in the world. And all of them support Joe Biden. And that's exactly what we have here, isn't it? And why didn't they want to get to the bottom of Georgia's election in 2018? Well... That's because they would have found the same things everyone's finding now. Because the systems aren't new. They're not a conspiracy. They're real. And real people know it. And all of this is going to become real clear real soon. Matthew DiPerno's lawsuit up in Michigan includes that evidence about the Dominion machines. And let's think forward a little bit. When morning comes, ooh, let's speculate 
I need to get in touch with Alt J and have them make me a version of that song just so that I can use it on this podcast. That would be awesome. And if you don't know who Alt J are, you should look them up and especially get their amazing first album, An Awesome Wave. And then you'll understand what I was just doing, like the jackass that I am. Uh, But let's look ahead a couple of weeks because the communists are going to have to figure out a narrative where they get to try to explain to the American people that that amount of election fraud actually isn't a problem. That's one possible trick they're going to try to use. Seems like they can't possibly get away with something like that, right? Well, who knows? There is a group of communists who will believe whatever they tell them because they don't want people like me to be right. That's the scariest thing. They're actually more scared of how they've actually treated people in their own lives and on the Internet than they are about the country succumbing to Nazism. Their self-image cannot contend with the idea that everyone is going to know them as a communist and Nazi. Like, that's who these people are, and it's coming their way. They can deny it as long as they want. The way back is to become American again. It's real simple. Attach yourself to reality. Realize that it doesn't matter what your peers think and pursue the truth. But they're going to say things like, well, yeah, but it was just Arizona. What are we going to do? Wait until all 50 state audits get done. We'll be at the 2022 election by then. And we know that all the other states didn't have these problems. And they'll try to then make it like, oh, well, this this one state doesn't overturn the Electoral College, so this is no big deal. We're going to hear woke people on CNN talking about that. I bet Don Lemon says it. I bet Chris Cuomo says it. I bet Brooke Baldwin says it. I bet CNN, as a network, tries that. That'll be amazing. And this has always been one of the most confounding questions to the communists. Because they'll see, like, you can point out actual election fraud all over the place. And they'll be like, okay, but like, that's not anything that would have swung the result of the election. In fact, that's one of the narratives they often go with. Well, there was no widespread fraud, not enough to change the election. There's no evidence of widespread fraud. These are baseless claims of widespread fraud. It's not enough. But then you just say, okay, well, all right, Kami, I understand what you're saying. How much fraud is the right amount? I'm going to contend that it's zero because every time there is a single fraudulent vote, it eliminates a person's real vote, no matter what side it's on, right? If there's a fraudulent vote for Donald Trump, that disenfranchises a Biden voter. And now I don't like communists and I think they're stupid and evil, but they also have the right to their vote. I don't want a fraudulent Trump vote canceling out some commie vote. Because that would just make me a commie. And that would make my principles and morals as bendable and self-serving as theirs. I don't want that. So I'm going to stick with zero fraud is the right amount. How much do you think is the right amount, commie? And they'll probably try to explain how there's no way to get zero, so it's not worth trying. 
because they're communists. And then it's like, okay, well, fine. Let's say that a little amount of fraud is unavoidable and I'll I'll go along with you for that. Okay. Wouldn't we be best served by completely auditing all of these elections so that we can just make sure that as much fraud as possible can be eliminated? Because ultimately, if we want Americans to have their voice and to have their vote, then we need to eliminate as much fraud as possible. At least we can agree on that comment, can't, can't we? And then what do they say? No, you know, I don't think that we need that. It's just unnecessary. We already had that. We already had these audits. They showed it. You're backpedaling, commie. I thought we just agreed that fraud isn't good. Don't you want to know where the fraud is so we can fix it for next time? You're going to just cause another very violent insurrection. Okay, commie. You stick with that. Good luck. There should be no objection here from anyone. And yet there is. If you want the quote unquote conspiracy theory and the big lie to stop, prove to us that the election everyone knows is a fraud was totally legitimate. It's simple. You have the answers, don't you, commie? You know what the result's going to be, don't you, commie? You told us all for six months that you knew the result and that there was no way that the country actually voted for Donald Trump because everybody is just like you. You think the most important thing is what a president tweets or how he sounds. Or whether or not your friends think you're a good person until you say how bad Trump is. You don't have any other priorities, commie. You don't know anything about climate change, commie. And you're the racist. You voted for a guy who was mentored by a Klansman. Period. You inadvertently joined a hate movement. And yeah, it's your fault for still being in it. Not your fault for accidentally joining it. But if you didn't wake up and realize it, you have no moral core. So you need to reconnect to reality, find some truth, and get right with everyone. Because we know what you are. We see you. And when the election fraud is proven, and this comes out, and everyone knows it, what in the hell are you going to do? Huddle up in the corner and cry? Start making your amends. And now I just want to touch on Tucker from last night because this is honestly, it's incredible. And just for a little preface, Tucker is talking about this guy, Frank Luntz, who has for years and years held these little focus groups where he gets the opinion of real America and then tells the Republicans what they should do. But then he also basically lobbies for all of the tech companies and a whole bunch of other uh, global communist organizations. And so he's basically just this living infection that destroys American interests on the Republican side of the aisle. And he's very good friends with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. But let's see how good of friends they are. So Luntz is a personal friend of Kevin McCarthy's, who's the top-ranking Republican in the House. That's what we said. 
Turns out we didn't know the half of it. Over the weekend, we got a call from a source who said that, in fact, Frank Luntz and Kevin McCarthy are not simply friends, they're roommates. Kevin McCarthy lives in Frank Luntz's apartment in downtown Washington. That's what we were told, and honestly, we did not believe it. The top Republican in the House lives with a Google lobbyist? Come on, come on. Even by the sleazy and corrupt standards of politics in Washington, that did not seem possible. In fact, it sounded like a joke. But this morning, since we heard it, we called to check with Kevin McCarthy's spokeswoman. And when we raised this, she all but chuckled at the suggestion. No. When he's in Washington, she told us, Kevin McCarthy rents hotel rooms or sleeps in his office in the Capitol. He certainly isn't living with Frank once. Okay. And that seemed logical to us. But we did press a little bit because we got the tip from someone we consider reliable and we just wanted to be sure. So the spokeswoman said she would get back to us. Two hours later, we got this text, quote, following up on our conversation from earlier today. Because of the pandemic, McCarthy has rented a room in Washington at a fair market price from Frank once. So actually, the top Republican in the House does live with someone who lobbies for Google. Mystery solved. Not only are they friends, they're roommates. So now you know why they listen to Frank once, but they don't listen to you. No matter how cynical you've become lately watching Washington, that's still a pretty remarkable thing to learn. But other questions remain. For example, what did the coronavirus pandemic have to do with Kevin McCarthy's choice of apartments? The Chinese unleash a virus on the world and all of a sudden congressional leaders have to live with Frank Luntz? Was there <laughs> CDC guidance on that? If so, we missed it. If anything, COVID increased the number of housing options in Washington, D.C. In some places, apartment prices fell, but not in Frank Luntz's building. Frank Luntz lives in one of the most expensive buildings in Washington. We pulled the deed and we checked. The estimate that we found shows that Luntz's condo in the fashionable Penn Quarter part of the city would likely rent for over $5,000 a month. That's the, quote, fair market price. So the question is, is Kevin McCarthy paying $5,000 every month to Frank Luntz to live in his house? We would love to know the answer. We asked several times of his office, and no one got back to us with an answer. All right. Now, there's obviously going to be a lot more to this story, and I assume that we're going to find this out very soon. I was reading an article yesterday that talked about Kevin McCarthy's ascent into his role as speaker. And at some point he had tried to take on John Boehner and then gotten smacked down when someone started asking questions about his personal life. And this is what the article said, and it didn't have more detail than that. And when somebody has something in their personal life that prevents them from taking a higher political office where they would be more in the public spotlight, it can only be one of a few things, right? And you can think about what those things might be. Then a few hours later, I'm listening to Tucker Carlson talk about how Kevin McCarthy is literally living with Frank Luntz. Now, these are both successful, right, in quotes, wealthy men in their 50s or older, I think. I can't imagine either of them are under 50, and it's not worth looking. But what in the world 
is one of the slimiest political operators doing sharing a place with the House Minority Leader. Like, hey guys, get your own places. You're both successful and wealthy, right? So why would two successful, wealthy men live together in the same place? Can anyone solve the mystery? I bet you already have. Am I saying they're gay? I'm saying, yeah, they're probably gay. (laughs) I mean, not there's anything wrong with that, but just say you're gay. Okay. This is the problem. People hide this stuff and then they make it into some secret perversion. You're actually harming people by not being honest. Could I be wrong? Sure, I could. Is there any reason right now to think I am? Nope. Just because they haven't come out? Okay. Got me there. But Kevin McCarthy right now is trying to protect himself in Congress because he got too close to the communists. And now he's trying to get back in the good graces of Donald Trump and MAGA world. And that's not going to happen. Okay. Kevin McCarthy is off the team. There is nothing Kevin McCarthy can do outside being like, oh, hey, I was a uh, white hat sleeper agent the whole time. (laughs) If he does that, then he'll be okay. But if this is the real Kevin McCarthy, what we're seeing, that guy's finished. Not because he's gay, because he's a liar and a traitor. And you can see that because he's hiding the fact that he's roommates with Frank Lutz. And this is another thing that people who don't understand MAGA at all just don't get. They're like, well, he's like a powerful Republican in Congress. Like, why are you going after him? Like, it's probably bullshit. Like, why do you even believe that? Like, that's a guy on your team. Like, why are you going after him? Hey, man, it's because I have principles. I don't like corruption. I don't like liars. I don't like people who participate in defrauding the country's election. Okay? I don't like people who go along with the COVID narrative. I don't like people who take money from China. Like Mitch McConnell. I want them all gone. All of them, every single one who did not object to election fraud should be gone. I'm as happy to see a Kevin McCarthy and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Pete Meyer takedown as I am to see a Pelosi or AOC takedown. I don't care which team they're on. I want corrupt people out of public life, period. That's it. If they committed crimes, I want them tried and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. If the crime they committed is treason, I want them to face the punishment for treason. And I want it to happen in public, by the way. And I'm happy to stake out that territory and people aren't going to like public executions. But maybe we need something like that 
to remind people that we don't exist outside of history. And there actually is a psychological purpose for punishment. These people are traitors to the country. They have tried to end our country. They should be handled appropriately. And I am 100% on board with Lynn Wood and what he said about Mike Pence. That doesn't mean Mike Pence should be handled with mob justice. And it doesn't mean that he should be persecuted if he did not commit a crime. But there's a very strong likelihood that Mike Pence has a career of committing crimes, probably equal to Joe Biden. In which case, he does deserve to be prosecuted for treason and dealt with as treason is dealt with. And that's it. That position shouldn't be controversial. I don't want anybody prosecuted who didn't commit a crime. I don't want anybody sentenced to death who didn't commit treason. Simple. But if you did, and it can be proven then it is what it is. I'm not going to go out and pick it that the law should be disregarded because you're such a popular guy, Barack Obama, or because you broke the glass ceiling, Hillary Clinton. What the hell would I care about that for? The law is the law. You commit treason, you're done. That's it. That's the law. And that's exactly how it should happen. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. 
In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!